Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Jay and Mike Take Flight podcast. I'm Jay, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike G. As we record this today is December 11th, 2020. We are one day removed from the Game Awards 2020 and two days removed from the launch of Cyberpunk 2077. And today, the main topic is going to be the announcements and fallout from the Game Awards 2020. But right now, we're going to start it off with a little rant by me on the launch of Cyberpunk 2077. Now, Cyberpunk has officially launched, and it is available on the PS4, the Xbox One, the Xbox Series X, and the PS5 via backwards compatibility and PC. Now, as I said, there is available on those newer consoles via backwards compatibility, and it's not uh, those games are not actually true next-gen games. They're just running, those consoles will be running just up-res versions of the base PS4 game and the uh, Xbox One X version of the game. Now, therein lies the problem. A lot of people are complaining that on their base PS4 and their base Xbox Ones, not the PS4 Pro, not the Xbox One X, but the base versions of these systems, that they have purchased Cyberpunk and they've attempted to play it, and they've had a bunch of glitches, that either break in-game progression, that have broken quests, that have actually, you know, other issues of some kind, like audio issues. They've had uh, performance issues where the frame rate for the game breaks down and actually slows everything to a crawl. I've seen YouTube videos about this for people who have done comparisons where the game on both the Xbox One and the PS4 will get sometimes to as low as 22 frames per second, sometimes even dipping further than that during uh, intense graphical sequences where it'll go down to 10 frames per second. Now, a lot of people are complaining and saying that uh, CD Projekt Red uh, sold them a broken game and released this game knowing that it was in such a buggy state and that, you know, the game sucks and all this and it's being review bombed and it has a low user score of 1.8 at the time we're recording this on Metacritic. But I just want to go into this and say, for anyone who has played any big ambitious sandbox style game and has played it on launch and has played it day like i said day one booted the game up they know there will always be issues this has happened with multiple fallout games with skyrim even another cd project red game the witcher 3 was very broken at release with multiple quests being broken progression items not working audio sync issues the game crashing frame rate dipping all over the place when it came out on the ps4 and the xbox one i mean GTA 5, when it launched at the end of the console generation for the 360, came into a bunch of bugs when it launched. I mean, this is the territory. And everyone that is complaining about this game coming out in such a buggy state, I understand it. I'm not saying that you have to accept it, and I'm not giving CD Project Red a pass. But you were really diluting yourself if you thought that on your base Xbox One and on your base PS4 that this game was going to run great. And I mean, CD Projekt Red even tried to try to, you know, smooth this out by releasing what they called the Day Zero patch, which was 100 gigabytes, mind you. That should tell you in what kind of shape this game was, especially on consoles. They dropped this 100 gigabyte patch and players still complain, well, that didn't fix anything for me. I'm still having crashes. I'm still having frame rate dips. And I'll tell you this much the people that are having the most complaints that are the most vocal are the people playing on these base consoles. The people playing on the PS4, the Xbox One X, the PS5, and the Series X are having much less of these issues. And let's not even talk about PC. Those people are are mostly doing fine. But 
what made you think that just because they patched this game that it was just going to run perfectly? I get it. You wanted this game to come out so bad, and you wanted it, and you wanted it, and you wanted it. And I mean, that puts CJ Project Red in a tough position as well because they already delayed the game twice. And their option was, do we delay it further, or we do we just release it as is and try to fix the issues that we hear about piecemeal as best we can? Because I'm telling you right now, I'm sure they have the you know, unenviable position of having to develop this game, not only for current gen hardware, but for next gen hardware. And I'm sure just the fact that they had to allocate any assets to build this game to work on current gen hardware compromised their vision. This game should not have been released on the Xbox One X or on the PS4. It shouldn't be, I should say, on this current generation of consoles. It should not have been released. It should have been a next gen thing and PC only. Because you're already seeing these consoles, especially the base version of these current gen consoles, are struggling to run this game. And just because a patch came out does not mean that your hardware from 2013, which is when the original Xbox One and the original PlayStation 4 launched, does not mean that that hardware from 2013 is suddenly now going to run better with this game. That's not how a patch works. A patch is exactly what it is in title. A patch is just that it fixes some things it might break some other things but it is just a patch on a leaky hull it does not fix the overall experience it does not change how the game fundamentally works and yes the game may be fundamentally broken on those consoles but if you believed that you were going to get this stunning experience that was going to be comparable to what either a people were getting on next-gen consoles or B, comparable to, you know, at least close to what people were getting on PC, you were diluting yourself. And you were just lying to yourself if you believe that. And once again, I want to reiterate here, I am not defending CD Projekt Red for releasing the game in this manner. I'm not saying that bugs are acceptable. I'm not saying that you have to sit here and take this. But I will say this, if you bought this game on the PS4 or the Xbox One, and you have a physical copy, and you have not opened it yet, and you're thinking about opening it, I would either return it or wait until they figure this out and we get more info from CD Projekt Red. Rather than running after them with pitchforks, I mean the game just launched two days ago. I have never expected an open world game to work perfectly in its first week of launch. It always happens. I mean, I learned the hard way when I was on the 360, and I bought... Fallout New Vegas, day one, booted the thing up, had the game crash on me, I had quests break for me, I had a multitude of issues, and I learned. And what did I have to do? As much as I hated to swallow that pill, I put the game down for a while, they patched it, they fixed the issues, and I was able to finally play it. But I feel like that's the kind of situation you're going to get yourself into, and I'm not saying a future patch is going to fix those current gen's consoles' issues, but it might alleviate some of them. And I just want everybody to kind of just take a step back, dial it down a bit. I understand we've been, all of us have been waiting for this game for years, but let's give them time to make it right. The jury is still out. They're still innocent till proven guilty. Let's see what happens. And with that, I'll be done with my part of the rant on Cyberpunk. Mike, I'll turn it over to you. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, People are freaking out over this, and I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. People freak out about 
pretty much almost every big release like this, especially if it's an open world game, uh, because they're always fraught with bugs. They're always fraught with issues. They, especially in the modern development cycle, they almost always need a day zero or a day one patch. But uh, like you said, people have to pick a fucking side. You either want the game to come out as it is, broken, filled with bugs, or you either want them to keep working on it, keep delaying it for as long as they possibly need in order to get a properly finished product. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. That's just simply not how it works. And uh, again, like you said, people playing this on base last-gen consoles are in for a shit show. The games hardly run. You're talking about 720p on a base PS4, and it struggles to, to maintain a 30-frame cap. It, 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 it languishes on a base PS4. Uh, on a Pro, uh, you might hit 1080 sometimes, but it'll scale back to 900. Uh, but at least it'll still it'll be a little bit more consistent with the 30 frame cap. Uh, it's not completely perfect. You know, there are parts in the game where you can drive and you turn into an alleyway and your game just fucking just it just absolutely has a shit fit frame rate drops. And, you know, that's sort of the uh, sort of the sort of how it goes when it comes to big, open, new games. Uh, now, CD Projekt Red, they've always been a PC-first developer, all the way from their first time, uh, or the first Witcher, I should say. And Cyberpunk is no different. It is most definitely geared toward PC players. Uh, and while the PC version still has a shit ton of bugs, it is in no means perfect, you at least... You know, if you got a 3090, you can get 4K60 with the ray tracing and whatnot. On last-gen machines, you're not even going to get a full 1080p picture. That's that's off the table. But uh, like you mentioned, it is also a backwards-compatible game. So if you're playing it on a PS5, the Series S or X, it'll be better. It, it runs like a, a shit ton better. You can actually get a frame rate and... Um, I've seen it hit 60 frames. I'm not sure if it actually keeps it or if it dips down into the, the mid to high 50s, but uh, it's a lot better on the new machines. And we're going to have to wait till an actual next gen version next year to see what the, uh, the next gen machines can actually do with cyberpunk. Uh, I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting the full 4k 60 package. I'm guessing there's going to be a hit in resolution if we want to have any sort of, you know, high frame rate at all going down to, I'd say 1080p is realistic because I don't think 1440 is going to be a real thing. Um, but, you know, that's it. That's that's what we're looking at when it comes to, to Cyberpunk. That's what we're looking at when it comes to CDPR. People, they've been around since Witcher 3. You know how Witcher 3 was when it first came out. It was, it was rough. It was even on PC, it was rough. You had people you know with high-end machines struggling to play it you had you know things were different well th things are different but at the same time you know the same the more things change the more they stay the same you have a big game it comes out pretty goofy looking especially if you're someone like bethesda where your games just fucking ship with bugs coming out the box but uh you know it's going to be a thing where 
to get the actual version of cyberpunk that we want, you know, the, the idealized version of it, it's probably going to be a good six month wait while CDPR irons out all of it that they can. And, you know, CDPR is good. They're good for the, uh, the promise. They've put an outstanding amount of support into the Witcher three and that's all versions, including the switch version. Uh, even continuing now, we're, you know, next year we're going to get a PS five version of the Witcher three. They, I don't know how they do it, but they're pulling fucking wizardry out here, man. It's, they got, they still got support for the Witcher three and they're, you know, indubitably going to iron out all of most of, if not all of the problems happening with the uh, cyberpunk. And, you know, that's all I've got for it. All right. So that was cyberpunk 2077. And I feel like we echo the same comments where we both hope that the game ends up in better condition at some point and that, you know, obviously this is just early launch woes and that CD Projekt Red will be able to kind of uh, steer the ship back on course. But on to our main topic, which will be probably the most of this episode, we're going to talk about the Game Awards 2020. We had a lot of big announcements last night as we're recording this. We had a lot of uh, interesting reveals. We had some uh, new updates to certain games. We also got to see a lot of award winners and I mean, when I say a lot of award winners, I mean, probably The Last of Us 2 won pretty much and ran roughshod over most of the categories. But there were some other winners from uh, different games and different studios in there. And Mike, I want to kick it over to you. You were able to watch the Game Awards 2020 live. And uh, I was not, unfortunately, but I did keep up uh, these via social media and I did catch up on a lot of the trailers that I did miss today. So I want to say to you, I know there was a couple of games that you were specifically looking for that got announced. So what was doing it for you? Um, There were quite a few games that I thought was interesting. There was one big one that I was like, oh, cool. Uh, Let me start out with, uh, first off, we have a Perfect Dark, I'm guessing Reboot being announced. And... uh, Hey, Perfect Dark. I I thought Perfect Dark was a fantastic game back on the uh, N64. I I even liked uh, the the prequel, if you will, that came out on the 360. It wasn't anything amazing, but it was there. And uh, I'm interested to see because they kind of made this thing where it's like an ecological story or like a economics meets ecologic sort of thing. And uh, I mean, the first Perfect Dark and Perfect Dark Zero did that too, but... uh, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, I want to know where we go with this Perfect Dark reboot. Uh, of course, it's going to be an Xbox exclusive because, you know, um, they own the license for it. I, I don't I don't think Rare is developing it. Uh, I I forgot who is developing it. It's, I'm going to have to look that up later, but uh, it's happening. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, uh, before you uh, continue, I was just going to say, you know, the, most of the, the main people that were at Rare when that game was developed have left but they do own the license with it, just like they own uh, the Killer Instinct license. And I think it's a lot of those developers behind that team and some other people coming together to uh, bring this uh, franchise back. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Well, I'm glad to see it. It's Xbox needs games, and there's one for it. Um, the next game was an interesting little gem called the Callisto Protocol. Now, they showed you know, nothing much, no gameplay, but they did you know, show an introduction trailer. And uh, you'll be happy to, to to know this, but I got big 
dead space vibes off of it. You know, the trailer starts with some guy waking up in a cell and there's like robots kind of going haywire. And then he turns around in his cell and there's like a necromorph looking thing kind of like looking at him and it charges him and just, you know, gives him the big spooky snarl and stuff. And uh, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, man, I'm getting big dead space vibes from it. And then uh, good old Jeff Keeley, the uh, Mountain Dew Pope, he he actually went to turn to talk to the head designer of the game. And lo and behold, to my surprise, it's Glenn Schofield of Dead Space fame, the uh, lead designer responsible for you know most of Dead Space. And I was like, yes, yes. With that, I, I know this is going to be something that's going to be top quality. I love Dead Space. I love Dead Space 2. Dead Space 3, that'll be an actual conversation with because, you know, that's a divisive game to say the least. But uh, with Glenn Schofield on board, the first thing he said is, I want to make one of the scariest games known to man. And I was like, you're fucking A right. I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I'm here for it. Let's do it, Glenn. <laughs> and uh, let's see. From there, we had uh, oh, we had the return of Ghosts and Goblins for the Switch. They announced, uh, I think it's a pure remake called Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection. Looks like tons of fun. Looks just as hard as the original game. Uh, it's part of the... Uh, Capcom Arcade Classics, I think, because they also uh, they also announced that for the Switch, which like I'm glad the Switch is getting that. I, I kind of want to play it too, but I don't have a Switch, so you know there goes those hopes. Um, yeah, I, I will say about the Ghost and Goblins, I believe it was called Ghost and Goblins Resurrection. Yeah, but uh, but uh, to me, what it looked like was a firm remaster of a Super Ghost and Goblins that was on the NES, uh, the Super NES, I should say. Oh. Okay, let's uh, all right. Um, let's see what else do we have. We had uh, oh one of the one of the bigger announcements. Even though like nothing was really said of it, we just got a teaser trailer of the the most thinnest veil, vague sort of fucking descriptions ever. Dragon Age Four. Uh, they're going to be calling it Dragon Age. I guess there's no working title, not even a four at the end of it. But um, they had a whole bunch of stuff talking about demons, this, that, all your Dragon Age stuff. Uh, I didn't play Inquisition, so I don't... There was one character there who I know that was in Inquisition that he is apparently a fan favorite. And I was like, all right, it's good to see him back. That's, that's cool. Uh, another big game, one that I actually liked a lot. Uh, it was called Crimson Desert. Not to be confused with Black Desert, the MMO, although... I mean, the games look pretty much similar, uh, although they said for Crimson Desert that it's going to be like a single player in an MMO kind of world or something. I don't know. It's it was they were very foggy with the description on how the game would work, but they did show a lot of what I'm guessing to be alpha gameplay. Uh, the game looks fun as shit. There's a whole bunch of hack and slash. There's a whole bunch of elementally imbued weapons, fire swords, lightning swords, you know, axes coming in the wazoo. He even had a guy riding, or not even riding. He was actually trying to hold on to it, but uh, he was holding on to this dragon for dear life. I'm guessing it's a boss fight, you know, and it looks, it looks really awesome. The graphics were looking fantastic. Uh, from the gameplay shown, it was looking a little rough, like uh, frame-wise. I mean, again, we're talking about something which I, I have to believe is alpha footage. So don't take that as like the final representation for the game, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it was totally badass. They mentioned a few other things. They, uh, they mentioned Elden Ring, 
which I know is a new game from uh, from software. We almost know nothing about that. From software has is keeping a tight lock on that. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be like you know another Soulsborne, but um, it was different from uh, Crimson Desert altogether. If anything, actually, Crimson Desert reminds me a lot just from the gameplay. It reminds me a lot of Dragon's Dogma, and that was another action RPG that uh, it was really cool. Had a whole bunch of things you could do, fight you know big mythical monsters. It was it was pretty awesome. Uh, what else did we have? We had a whole bunch of uh, other games, lots lots of smaller indie games. Of course, you're always going to have your indie games. Ah, they showed another trailer for Returnal, which uh, I think looks dope. And uh, I'm not sure if it's a PS5 exclusive. They the way they showed it off made it look like it was because it you know they had the PS5 logo front and center. You know PS5 Studios, and I was like, okay. Uh, they started off kind of like a horror game, almost PT-ish, if you will, with the main character walking down this hallway to this door, you know, going for the doorknob and it just being, you know, big spook time. And then they cut to the gameplay where it's pretty super sci-fi-ish, almost looking like, you know, aliens, big sci-fi weapons. And uh, from what I from what I hear, it's like a roguelite. So I'm guessing there's going to be lots of procedurally generated environments and enemies that you can have to deal with over time. Uh, it looks really awesome. I'm excited to see where Returnal goes, how it's, you know, and, you know, when it's going to come out. I think they said something about March. A lot of things are coming out in March. That's def I definitely remember some of that. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, uh, unfortunately, Jay, uh, you know, we talked about Silent Hill and Metal Gear Solid being announced, but unfortunately, nothing. Not a damn thing. Yeah. Jack shit. You, you son of a bitch. You had a man to mention that again. You had to bring it back to the front of my consciousness. Uh, I mean, gotta, I completely, I completely yeah, erased I it out of my mind. <laughs> I got to hit you. I'm sorry with it. Uh, yeah, I, I will say this. I, I will say this before you, you, you completely, you know, rip my nuts off from my body. I will say this. <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to get, I'm in an abusive relationship at this point with Konami because no matter how far they throw me, I'll come back. And it's like, while they did not announce anything yesterday, the person who was the initially leaked the rumors about a uh, Silent Hill being in development was just on social media about an hour ago saying it's still happening. The announcement will be coming. And I feel like I, I'm still holding on to the breadcrumb. I, I, I you know, I, 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 I pray and I beg. I pray and I beg. And I'm just like, just, just play the Silent Hill theme and just show me the sign. You don't, you don't even have to show me like an up-res version of the sign or tell me that it's like in-game footage, dude. You could show me a Crayola drawing of the sign now and just say PS5 under it at a game show, and and, and I might, you know, I might come on Impact. Like that's all you have to do. Like, like you don't have to do a lot. They could just show you an MPEG image of just Silent Hill, like, like just not even like a real logo, just kind of like a word document, you know, black, white text on a black background. Silent Hill, new game, and you, you just explode everywhere. You know, I'm too messing. L listen, this this is what they got to do. This 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 would especially with the rumors, the last uh, batch of rumors saying that they did uh, Konami made up with Kojima and have decided to let him finish his work on Silent Hills. All they have to do is have a picture of Kojima with a Silent Hill shirt, whatever the new logo of is, and it says, we do. That's it. And I'm happy. Yeah, that would that would seal the deal for a lot of people. 
And uh, honestly, I do want to keep the faith too, but I don't know, man. Like I, like we spoke about in the first episode, I don't trust Konami for shit. I, I think, I think they'll, you know, they'll keep the fish hook in your mouth and they'll dangle the bait. But I don't think, I don't think they'll ever, you know, actually give us the treat, give us what we want, what we need. It's just always gonna be, you know, just something forevermore that we want. And I don't know why. They, they, it's yeah, one of the I mean, most popular franchises, but this is what we're getting. Yeah, I mean. Konami has unfortunately, you know, turned into the video game version of a strip club. They dangle all these, you know, these goodies in front of you, these franchises that they haven't made any new sequels to uh, for a while, such as Metal Gear and Silent Hill and Zone of the Enders and other uh, franchises that they own. And they dangle it in front of you and you can pay to play the older versions, but no touch if you want the new, anything new. No touch. Yeah. It, it's kind of worse than a strip club because at least the strip club, you see the goods with Konami. We don't even see the goods. We're in the strip club with empty emptiness. And, and we're, yeah, yeah. Can we have some, are you going to bring it out now? Can we have some? No, it's an empty strip club and we're just here with thumbs up our asses. And it's like, I don't know what to do anymore, but, <laughs> but, and, and this is where, this is where I put on, you know, the aloe to help that burn. We are getting an evil dead game. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. I I was like, what is this? And at first I thought it was going to be Silent Hill. But then I heard, a, you know, I heard a familiar voice and I was like, no, no, that can't be. And I, I saw, you know, zombies walking around. But little did I know they weren't zombies. They were the deadites. And I hear, I hear that sweet Campbell voice. And then all of a sudden you see Ash come out. He's got Kelly with him. And uh, they showed a little bit of gameplay. It looks kind of like a, you know, action slash hack and slash sort of game. They didn't show a lot. They did not show very much. They basically showed some in-engine stuff. We don't know how the game is going to work. Um, I, <laughs> we almost know nothing, but at least we know it's coming. Uh, I will say this. Uh the cool thing about the game that I did notice just based off the trailer, it's looking like it may be, you know, kind of like a, a four, a four person, maybe, maybe even six, depending if they got, they try to boost it up for the current console, but it looked just from the gameplay trailer, you dropped a four person kind of squad based horde mode type of game where you go against a bunch of deadites. But the thing I liked about it was that for people that are into the movies, like I am and are into the lore, they had not only Kelly, they had Ash, they also had Ash's best friend who he goes up to the cabin with in the first movie who helps him take down a bunch of deadites before he unfortunately meets his demise. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> and then they also brought back the main knight from um, Army of Darkness who works with Ash to take down the deadite army, who I thought that was awesome that they were bringing back all these characters that actually were part of the fight. And I'm hoping at some point too, like that that game, I'm telling you right now, the way I am with Evil Dead, regardless of how that game launches, I don't even care if it launches Predator Hunting Grounds bad. I'm buying it. I don't care. I don't care. Because I've already gone through this with the Friday the 13th game. I had no business playing that game for as much as I, I did, especially with all the bugs and the lack of server issues. But here's the thing. Unlike the Friday the 13th game that was, you know, an, basically a Kickstarter game, that basically, you know, got its funding and w 
was lucky to see the light of day and then due to lawsuit and issues did not receive further updates and the team kind of had a you know ilphonic and all that had to kind of back out on the game and move on to another license that they wanted to see the light of day unlike that situation evil dead as far as i know is doing it right and they're actually being developed by saber interactive which is a well-known studio they've got a budget behind it especially since they are currently in production on a new Evil Dead film, which I'm assuming this is going to create hype for as well. I think this is going to be a lot better than people are going to give it credit for because it seems already just from the footage we've seen and just from how Bruce Campbell has talked about it on social media and just how people have just talked about the industry in general, it seems like this is actually going to get the care it deserves. And since it has a more, I would say, a more veteran team behind it that's actually worked on other projects before i think this one might stick the landing it remains to be seen but one thing that did get me hyped during that trailer is that it said 2021 yeah very close and uh we can hope for that god knows evil dead could use uh, a new game there hasn't been one in very long i think the last one was uh, uh on the ps2 and og xbox but uh speaking of four-player co-op back for blood um the new game from Turtle Rock Studios. Uh, listen, you cannot tell me this game is not Left 4 Dead 3. Okay? From everything we saw in the trailer, and, and it was all gameplay being shown. I mean, uh, for fuck's sake, you start off in the safe room. This is Left 4 Dead 3, and I'm perfectly okay with that because God knows Valve doesn't want to do Left 4 Dead 3. So it, it, you know, it falls back to Turtle Rock Studio to actually take up the mantle once again and bring us the game that we want. And Back for Blood looks like Left 4 Dead on absolute steroids. You know, you have uh, your four-player co-op going against hordes of zombies, uh, even things that look a little supernatural. They were, they were like brumac-sized things from Gears of War walking around. You had people shooting them with guns, and I'm like, oh, boy, that's, that's a boss fight. And... Uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't speak much about it. They basically just let the trailer do all of its talking, and it, it looks pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I hope it does not go the way of the uh, the previous game that they made. I, I'm blanking on the name right now, but uh, that game that game was not good. Um, I see, like, it's so forgettable. I really can't remember the name of it, and it was like the one thing that uh, Turtle Rock Studios had made in a long time. But with Back for Blood, hopefully they get the, the formula down correctly. Uh, we just want that Left 4 Dead uh, itch scratched, man. It's been such a long time since I personally have played any sort of Left 4 Dead. And uh, to see that Back for Blood is here and is going to be the Left 4 Dead 3 that we wanted and needed, uh, I'm here for it. I'm hoping you know the game turns out well. And uh, I will be watching intently to see what happens with this game. I I hear that. I mean, I you know I'm gonna, I'm about to you know speak sacrilege here, but I never got to play Left 4 Dead 2. By the time I got oh. into it, every everybody I know was off the game already. Like I ended up getting it like it was maybe it was like really cheap on maybe uh, Xbox Live or something. And by that time, everybody was off it. I maybe got it like three years after it launched. But I did play a lot of the original Left 4 Dead, and I do have uh, fond memories of that. But I will say, according to the developers of Back 4 Blood, it is the same developers that did create Left 4 Dead. And they are uh, they said they do consider this the, spir- uh, the spiritual uh, sequel 
to Left 4 Dead, you know, and they said that, that their nod to the Left 4 Dead series by, was by leaving the number four in the title. And uh, I think that's very awesome. I just hope that this game doesn't fall by the wayside in the sense that since the last Left 4 Dead came out, this genre has kind of been very, and I will say very saturated, because even when those games came out, you know, they were already starting to compete with games like, you know, like modes like the Call of Duty Zombies. And now we have games such as Killing Floor that have come out since we've had, you know, the Dead by Daylight, which is a different type of whole game, but it's still kind of like that squad based thing. We've had World War Z. And I'm just hoping that, you know, with the layoff that, you know, and especially with how the market is changing and people not all being into zombies as much as they used to with The Walking Dead on the decline. I'm just hoping that this game doesn't get lost in the shuffle. I agree. Um, like you said, we've had a bunch, and World War Z kind of tried to uh, imitate Left 4 Dead, but it was really a pale imitator. It was, the game wasn't bad. It was a mediocre game, but uh, I don't know. There was something about it that just, it, it didn't scratch the same itch, whether it was the quality whether it was the fact that it was in third person, I, I, I don't know, maybe I didn't dig the whole third person bit. Um, the gunplay seemed fine, but, you know, things lacked impact in World War Z. Uh, you had the zombies that would kind of just run towards you and shooting them kind of felt easy. Like, they didn't, the zombies didn't have any weight to them. They kind of just, you would see them climb over each other like they do in World War Z, and you would just throw a grenade and, you know... It, Sure, it's satisfying to see them pop and see all the bodies fly, but uh, I don't know. I we we played we played quite a bit of that, but uh, we never finished. And you know, not for lack of trying, it's just that I don't know. The game just didn't hook me. It, um, yep, same here. Yeah. Same here. I, I had that same issue. Like, don't get me wrong. Fundamentally, it played fine, and you know, I understood what it was going for, but there were things in the game that just, I don't know, it, it didn't have that gravitational pull that I expect from those kind of multiplayer squad based shooters to, to have for me. And I don't know, it just didn't get me there. It just didn't do it for me. And I also found that I didn't really care for how the missions layout was structured and how the kind of the level select was. I felt that it was kind of a little counterintuitive and I don't know, it was just me, but it, it didn't grab me. Yeah. Very much, much the same, but, uh, Hopefully, Back for Blood comes back and, and takes the crown because uh, I think it, I think it's necessary. Because even with Black Ops, don't get me wrong, I like the zombies mode. It's just personally being on a PS4 Pro, zombies is not the smoothest gameplay experience ever on on last gen. So I've been kind of avoiding it. But uh, I mean, like I said, it's fun. It's just I don't know. Maybe on a PS5. It's a lot more smoother of an experience. I don't know if you get any bad frame drops because uh, on the pro, it gets a little hairy. No, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell everybody this who's asked me about you know Cold War and zombies on the PS5. I have not had any really big frame dips really at all. I've had a couple of crashes here and there, but nothing as you know chaotic as what a lot of people have complained about with their specific PS5. But uh. Yeah, it's for the most part, it's it's full 60 frames. There's been no issues. And I would expect as much just from the simple fact that this game was developed for both gens. So the, even though this is on the next gen console, and they have a dedicated next gen version of Cold War for the PS5. 
I don't believe that I still believe in just an up res last gen version. That's just running better textures and better graphics and stuff. We're not going to see that true next gen call of duty until next year's. Yeah. I could agree there. Although I, like I said, I fully think that the, uh, next gen version of black ops runs way better and looks way better on the uh, new machines than it does the old ones. Cause, uh, you see some ugly, ugly shit on a PS4 version, and I can excuse a lot of it. You know, uh, uh, transitions from generation from console generation to console generation can be a little bit hectic. God knows, like uh, the Xbox 360 version of Ghosts looked, you know, really, really lame compared to the PS4 version. But uh, them's the breaks when you're having a console transition. Yeah, I mean. You're always going to have to deal with those type of issues. And I mean, these are the growing pains of when a new console generation comes out. And, you know, you have people that are going to stay behind on the current gen. You have people that want to be, you know, new adopters such as myself. And they're going to try to jump on us on the bandwagon as soon as they can. But as we're talking here about game announcements, let's talk about two other big game announcements that came out also. And one was a reveal trailer for not only a game, but it was more the more the big roar around this trailer was who was starring in it, and that was Arc 2. We see nice trailer, nice build-up, we see creatures, beautiful graphics, but then you hear that voice, that familiar voice that you've only heard when you're behind the wheel and you know you have to do it because it's all about your family. Arc 2 is starring <laughs> Vin Diesel. What did you think about this? Um, first off, I thought this was Turok. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Turok. I was hoping it was Turok because, like, it kind of looks like it a little bit, you know? And, like, Vin Diesel would be appropriate for Turok, I guess. But no, it's Arc 2. And I was like, I was not expecting this, especially when you have Vin Diesel playing himself. He's not playing a different character. <laughs> He's actually just playing himself. And it's like, yo, Vin, do you want to, like, maybe put on a different voice guy? Because you're just playing yourself. Like, you can literally exchange this with either Dominic Terreno or fucking Riddick. And more often, it, you sound like Riddick in this trailer than you do anyone else. And if you're going to do that, just give us a new Riddick game. Because God knows I would love more Riddick. But uh, Arc, Arc 2, man, that's that's what we're getting out of that. And, uh, I mean, it seems whatever. Well, I guess for Arc 2... Um, it can't work. I've, you know, I've never played it, but, uh, and you know, it's, it's more of the survival sort of thing like, uh, Minecraft would be, but, uh, just, just having Vin Diesel in it. I, I feel like it's kind of weird and you know what? Maybe it really should have been Turok instead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have rather had Turok, but, uh, yeah. What, what do you feel about it, Jay? I mean, I, personally never played the, the the first arc game and I don't really know much about it. I mean, I understand, you know, I kind of have a gist of what the franchise is about, but you know, I never really like got into it. I know other people that played it and said good things about it, but it never really like really grabbed me or got on my radar. I mean, it's cool that the franchise is going to have Vin Diesel in it. And I guess, you know, I assume that's going to help it at least maybe in sales wise. And it'll probably, you know, it'll be a, a little more, you know, kind of a, box office type of thing for it maybe and get a little more buzz as we get further with it since it you know it does have the star power of Vin Diesel but I mean it besides that announcement I mean while it was cool to see Vin Diesel in the game it didn't really do much for me I mean didn't grab me but you know 
things can change over time. Maybe, you know, something will grab me about it. But for me, you know, it was it was just kind of an announcement that was there. Yeah. And um, I'm kind of hoping it goes well for uh, Vin because, uh, I mean, bring it back. Let's bring it back to uh, like last year or not, not even this year. I have no idea when this game came out, but the Fast and Furious game. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That game was bad. And yep. you had people from, you know, the actual Fast and Furious franchise come in on that one and lend their voices and likeness to it. And who was it shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that game had a bad gameplay design, bad, uh, just bad mission structure, just bad everything. And I mean, I, I'm going to be honest and say I wasn't even surprised because that kind of comes with the territory most of the time with those movie tie in titles. And it's like, me being a person that's also, you know, on an offside mode, like a big person that's into roller coasters and, you know, into theme park rides and all that. I mean, even their their, their ride they have in Universal Studios is shit. It's like the the movies haven't been great. You know, we're just going to get on a little bit on this tangent. The movie hasn't haven't been great. Now they they have a ride that sucks. They have a video game that sucks. It's like, I think at this point, the only way, you know, Vin Diesel gets any respect is Riddick. His his uh small role as Groot in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and hopefully maybe Arc Two does something for him because uh, I'll tell you, Fast and Furious, you know, don't even remind me of that game. That it was just horrible. It was definitely if you really have to play it and you consider yourself a big fan of those of you know the series, then you know you get that in the bargain bin. But other than that, it's a never touch. Oh yeah, you wait until that fucking game is like five dollars, if that. I wouldn't even touch it for five. I, I yeah, you, you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't touch it for the five dollar discount. I would not. That's I don't think. <laughs> I, I don't know. I will. I like if someone said, "Hey, here's twenty bucks. Play the Fast and Furious game." I don't know if I'd be able to do it. I'd be like, oh, "Come on, man! You can't think of another bad game." <laughs> I mean, I I can think of another bad game, but you refuse to buy it, and that's uh, the Paranormal Activity game. Which is five dollars right now in the PS uh, the PSN store. Okay, you know what? I, maybe, maybe if you gave me twenty bucks and to buy it and play it, maybe. But but I don't it's know. five bucks. Why would I have to give you twenty? You got to pay me to play it, man. <laughs> oh, we got to pay to play. All right, so we're getting back to the strip club thing we talked about earlier. Got to pay to play, huh? Exactly. <laughs> got to pay to play. But free rides. You know, no free rides exactly uh ash cash or grass you know yep. but uh i was gonna say that you know we're going from you know the topic about you know a game that features the man that says it's all about the family to a another game that was surprisingly announced that's joining a big family of games and that is a teaser that we received for the new mass effect game what did you think about this um it had nothing to do with and well from what we've seen it had nothing to do with Andromeda, so I'm a-okay with it. Like, and it looks like it stars Liara Tassoni. Because yeah, like we see, like you her. Know, her, we see a little bit of an Asari face, and it's like, ooh, ooh, is that Liara? And I'm like, bro, is Liara going to star in this game? Because I am a-okay with that. And uh, we see her go to like an icy, snowy planet, some sort of Hoth thing. And uh, she goes, she finds some wreckage. And she digs it out of the snow and she lifts it up and it's like, it's an N7 plate. And I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. 
are we going to have a return of Shepard? Is Shepard going to be in the game or is he going to be dead from like one of the many, many stupid endings of Mass Effect 3? What's going on here? Uh, but uh, I- I'm okay with that just as long as they don't continue off with Andromeda because um, I fucking hated Andromeda. I did not like Andromeda whatsoever. It um, it was just, it just wasn't the play for me. The fact that it takes place like 500 years after and or like it, it did the weird thing where it took place during the reaper war because they traveled to a whole new galaxy so that took like five or six hundred years and um like they they had like little mentions of the old games and it's like yeah man commander shepherds uh, gathering everyone for this war that and you're playing as you know the rider twins and, and you're just sitting there like i don't know if I don't know if I should be doing something. I should be looking for things, shouldn't I? I don't know. I just, I, I did not like Andromeda. I didn't like the multiplayer in Andromeda. Like, I barely touched the story. And, like, I, I legit just, like, I left that game somewhere and let someone have it for free. And I was like, whatever, just get it out of my face. <laughs> uh, I'll say this uh, right off the bat. I know you had... Uh that take about, you know, not liking Mass Effect Andromeda, but honestly, I'm tired of your disingenuous assertions. And oh. I've got to stand and I've got to stand up here for Mass Effect Andromeda. No, no, I'm not. I'm actually not. Fuck that game. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I'm hoping, like you said, it did look like Liara in the, in the teaser that we got. Not much else was her, besides her picking up the plate with the N7 logo on it. But I'm hoping that this continues off of that after credits thing that you heard of Mass Effect 3, which you can hear Shepard breathing, but you don't know conclusively if he survived or not. Which now, with the new Mass Effect uh, Legacy remasters coming out and adding this on top of it, it's the perfect time to build upon that story. And I, I think especially with the new consoles being out and all the all the technology we have available to us now, I think this is going to be amazing but this kind of wraps around going back to the beginning of the podcast mass effect especially now that the new game is announced and we have the remasters coming is something that fanboys will lose their mind about the same way they did with cyberpunk all i can pray is andromeda was a shit show from when it launched throughout its entire time all i can do is pray that this game or I should say games in general, all the Mass Effect games coming out, suffer better fates and launch better than Andromeda and also are handled better than what just happened to CD Projekt Red with Cyberpunk. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, even the first Mass Effect game when it came out, it had quite a bit of uh, problems. But, uh, I mean, I still enjoyed the first game. I think it's probably my favorite of the trilogy. And um, I stuck through it. I remember when Mass Effect first came out, I ooh, it, like I charged through that game mainly because my at the time 360 was on the verge of death. Like it had given me, you know, the red rings. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I just got Mass Effect. But uh, I was able to still keep it running somehow. And I just flew through Mass Effect. I, I did as much as I could before that console ended up just dying completely. Uh 
that was another that was another game where it needed patches and work afterwards and you know bioware did their thing but um with andromeda i didn't even wait to see if what fixes were coming down the pipe i just was like i don't want it i don't want it don't need it it's not like it's any part of the original mass effect trilogy it's something wholly new and like it's this wasn't great i i did not didn't want it didn't want it <laughs> end of story yeah i i i'm not gonna not gonna uh, clown you for not feeling that game that game was you know not special i mean i didn't overly hate it to the max but you know it's not something that i ever had like once i i dropped it initially after it came out i never had you know the need to go back to it but if we're going to talk about something that wasn't great, at least for our taste, how about The Last of Us 2 winning everything at the Game Awards 2020? Yeah, it it won every, almost every single thing that it was nominated in. And I, I agreed with like one of them, like best sound design. I, I'll, I'll agree with that. That game sound design was pretty fucking intense. And, uh, you know, to have an honest conversation about it, I don't think that game is the apocalypse that everyone swears to God it is. Do I think it's bad? Do I th- it had bad choices? Absolutely. I hate the story in The Last of Us 2. I hate how it's organized. Um, they, they could have done something totally different, not even have Joel and Ellie in the game and just make it all about Abby and then somehow fit Abby's story in with Joel and Ellie, and then you could have had uh, The Last of Us Part 3 be, you know, the crux of it all, that to where Ellie and Abby actually do meet and battle it out across however many fucking state lines you want, but it won uh, it won best uh, best direction, which like how there were widespread rumors of, of, uh, of crunch, which isn't looked upon kindly, uh, also, and that also goes with cyberpunk that, you know, crunches seems to be a natural thing with developers just working uh, an insane amount of hours to make sure that these games get out. And I understand why crunch exists because, you know, you have a deadline for certain things. So you have to make sure it works within that amount of time. But uh, yeah, with last of us Two, uh, part two, they did the same thing, had the same amount of crunch. Uh, it won best story, which of course I I wanted nothing to do with. I feel like Ghost of Tsushima should have won that hands down, especially considering that Ghost of Tsushima it, it didn't go full bleak nightmare story, but there was you know down moments. Like the entire last act of the game is a down moment, and like I'm not going to dole out any spoilers here, but. Uh, the story does touch upon darker elements. It, it touches on sad elements, especially some of the side quests that happen. And you're like, Oh man, this is, this is pretty heavy. Instead of the joyless soul sucking experience. That was the last of us two story where you're just kind of questioning. It's like, why am I doing this? What's going on? Especially when you get to the very last part of the game, when you, when you play as Ellie again and you're like, why am I wasting my time here? This is terrible. I like, and then, and then, I, I should I would say spoilers, but we've all seen the fucking ending of the game. There's no, there's no point in doing it, especially with the fact that um, 
you don't kill Abby at the end of the game. You, you quote unquote, break the cycle. And it's like, so we just wasted our time. All of our time was wasted. Nothing, nothing good came of this. Nothing good comes out of the last of us at all. It is one entire down sour, just experience at the end, you know, Abby bites off uh, Ellie's fingers and she can't play the guitar anymore. So like any connection she has to Joel is just gone, just completely separated from her. And it's it's a, it was a terrible story, dude. On top of them, you know, making Joel to see making Joel the bad guy because he decided to be selfish and, and save Ellie over choosing, you know, hey, let's you know, have Ellie sliced up for a vaccine that may or may not work because you're dealing with a fungus and that's not how funguses are dealt with, with vaccines. You have to like burn funguses and bunk fungi and stuff. But uh, yeah. Uh, and of course at the very end of the show and like, I, I was, I was waiting for it. If it won that many awards before it was going to win the goatee and I was not surprised. So I'll come in, six miles away and it won over uh, Ghost of Tsushima it won over Doom Eternal it won over Final Fantasy and I think the last game was Hades and it, it just it just took the award you know without even without even a fight it seems like they just they just automatically had it win the goatee and like I said before this game is not my game of the year uh, but again, it's not it's not the apocalypse everyone thinks it is. Is the story bad? Yes. But if you like the gameplay of the first, you'll like the gameplay of the second. You know, at least play the shit show in, in order to see, you know, like, hey, the gameplay is fun. And, you know, the combat's brutal. And, you know, I, I like, you know, smacking people in the head with lead pipes. But, oh, boy, does this story... Ugh, ugh. It leaves an incredibly bad taste in your mouth. And um, just the fact that it took game of the year. And uh, earlier, uh, when uh, I think her name was Laura Bailey, she had won Best Actress for playing Abby. Uh, she was talking about how, you know, I thank Neil for, you know, creating a story with such balls. And I was like, is it? Did it have balls? Because, like, I don't know, man. I, I think the story was just what can we do to make people as uncomfortable as possible while playing this game? And they managed to hit every correct branch on the way down of that particular tree. Cause every part you just, you just like, Ugh, I don't these choices that these characters are making. I don't like it. Uh, and the game makes you feel bad for playing it, especially when it comes to the, uh, the dogs. Uh, when you play as Abby, the um, I think the dog's name was Lucy. Like you, you take her out, you know, you play ball with her, you play fetch with her and, you know, they have the whole good doggo thing. And then you realize you killed that dog when you were Ellie. And it's like, I hate everything about this fucking game. That was like even more so than, than Joel dying. I just felt horrible for killing the dog and then playing as Abby. And then the dog is like just the sweetest thing ever. And I was like, man, fuck this game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, from my own uh, perspective, 
I don't, I let you kind of handle that because I don't really have much to add as far as The Last of Us goes because, as you know, we've had this talk multiple times off of the podcast where, you know, not just you, but other people have told me, you know, you need to go play Last of Us. And this is before Last of Us 2 came out. And I kept putting it off and putting it off. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. Every time I start the game up, I play it for an hour or two. And then I always end up at the same spot that I'm at. And then I end up like not picking it up again, go moving on to something else. Then I come back and try it again. It's like the vicious cycle. But then like, I was like, oh, okay, Last of Us 2 is coming out. Maybe I'll, I'll get into this and beat the first one so I can play the second one, whatever. But then, you know, all this, you know, the talk came out about the second one and pretty much like you said that a lot of people saying it was a soul sucking experience and that it was really depressing to play and that, you know, it's it's a video game that makes you feel like shit while you play it. And I was like, all right, with the pandemic going on outside and everything already being depressing as it can be in real life, I don't think in my off time what I call entertainment in my escape, I want to sit down and be more depressed and give you $60 to make me depressed. And I didn't like, I understand I should go back and play the first one, just take it as, as its own thing. But I also have the problem where like, I know the game, the first game ends in a way, you know, that leads it for a sequel. And I'm like, now that I know where that first game is going, do I even want to bother? Because ultimately, from what people have told me, what happens in the first game really doesn't matter because it all gets undone in the second game. So it's like, should I even give a shit to that point to even start the franchise up, regardless of how good these games may be? And I also feel like the issue, too, is with you talking about the story beats that the second one takes and making people feel uncomfortable and making people feel a certain way. The issue with that is, is that I think the gap in time from when the first one came out to kind of the climate, the, the climate we live in now is kind of what influenced that. I feel like whatever the writing process behind, you know, the second game was and whatever it was originally going to be got changed as, you know, the environment around us changed and it kind of decided to reflect kind of current trends in society rather than trying to tell a story regardless of what was going on in the real world. And I get that sometimes the bets art imitates life, but in this case, I feel like from at least the spoilers I've read and the things I've watched about the game and the playthroughs I've seen, this was the one time where art imitating life didn't work to its advantage. Yeah, no, um, Neil Druckmann was absolutely influenced by, you know, people outside of Naughty Dog to, you know, change the game and, you know, put different messages in the game and stuff like that. But, uh, and, you know, what throws me for the loop is that he wanted to make a game that was super dark, super uncomfortable, and not for nothing, but the first game also shared that, like, super dark, you know, story. Sure, it had moments of levity where, you know, uh, you had Ellie doing the dad jokes in her little book, and that would lighten the mood in some instances. But it was still a very dark, very violent story. And like to act like you didn't have that in the first game, and that the second game, you know, is the only game that has that is I don't know. It's it's a little disingenuous. Um, this the first game. There are moments. Uh, you know, sad moments, kind of, you know, depressing moments like, oh, man, you know, I can't believe uh, I think her name was Tess in the first game. She got bit. You know, she ends up getting killed by um, the uh, the in-house government that they had in the uh, Last of Us universe, which 
is almost like gone in the second game with the exception of, uh, you know, um, the wolves. And I was like, okay, but um, the second game is just down punch, down punch, down punch, down punch. It is a nonstop barrage of just sad moments of depressing moments of joyless, again, soul sucking moments that it's pretty hard to get through when, you know, after Joel dies and it's like, I, I really like, it's, it's, it's not good, man. It's, it wasn't a good show. I mean, you're, you're talking about the down punch that are there down punch, down punch. I'm thinking about the rainbow kick, rainbow kick, rainbow kick. That's kind of my preferred barrage, you know? Yeah. But at least the uh, rainbow kick starts off in an upward arch, you know, like it's not just getting punched in the balls (laughs) four or five times. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that that is true, but I will say you know outside of you know the uh, the Last of Us two you know taking a lot of the awards, were there any other awards that kind of caught your eye that was given out that either you thought deservedly so or unjustly so? Um, not so much. There were times in the award show where they just started rapid fire uh, delivering awards, and I was like, hold up, hold on, look, look, what, I'm missing stuff. They like best sports game, I think, went to Tony Hawk, and like. They they announced it so quickly. It's like best sports game to Tony Hawk, and right along, we're gonna go to Eddie Vedder. <laughs> and, and I was like, wait, what? Uh, um, beyond that, pretty much, pretty much the awards were rather unpredictable. Uh, Among Us took home a few awards, I think, for best multiplayer game and best. I don't know if it was new game or something else, but uh, I mean, it's cool. I, I'm not a huge mega fan of Among Us myself. But that's whatever. Um, unfortunately, Doom Eternal took home no awards, jack shit. And I was pissed about that because I really like Doom Eternal. Personally, Doom Eternal is my goatee. And um, <laughs> the fact that it didn't even get best action game. And I was like, wow, you couldn't, you couldn't give Doom Eternal just one even minor award? Nope. Nope. Not a damn thing. And uh, no, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, nothing. You get nothing, sir. And you will like it. You'll you'll enjoy the nothing. And I'm sitting here with Doom Eternal. But why? No, Final Fantasy got that. But we've heard Final Fantasy soundtrack before. It's not new. (laughs) You've heard One Winged Angel since like '97 for 20 years, guy. Well. I mean, at least uh, I did see that uh, Mortal Kombat 11 did get Fighting Game of the Year. Yeah, yeah, it did. And uh, I'm happy for that. Um, I, I totally forgot what the other other um, nominees were, but I was like, Mortal Kombat's getting that one. And when it happened, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw that one coming. Yeah, I mean, if we want to even, like, you know, I feel like we're going to always end up somehow wrapping around back to our original topic when we're talking about cyberpunk. But uh, another award that kind of caught my eye, which I thought was interesting because of who won it, best ongoing game was No Man's Sky. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because we all remember the shape that No Man's Sky launched and when there was nothing to do, people were, felt they, they were deceived and that they pre-ordered this big game that they were promised for nothing and they got best ongoing game. And I'm like, See, this is the shit I'm talking about. A game may launch one way, 
But years down the line or months down the line, it'll be something fucking completely different. And I feel like that's why I'm telling people we're still in the launch week of Cyberpunk. I'm not excusing what's going on with it, but it can be fixed if the developers put the effort into fixing it. Absolutely. Like, No Man's Sky won best ongoing game. I was like, wow. Because I honestly expected that going to one of the Battle Royale games, considering how, you know, Battle Royale is the hot new shit. But um, No Man's Sky won it. And like you said, we all remember how No Man's Sky launched like four years ago. That game was rough. That game was terrible. There was nothing to do except mine and fly and mine and fly and go around to these empty ass planets. But uh, thankfully, Sean Marie and his team, they continued to work on it for four years. And, um, and the interesting thing about it is that Sean Murray didn't tell anyone that a lot of the computers used to work on the, uh, on the game were pretty much damaged by flooding. And it's like, dude, that's an important thing to tell us. Like, no wonder why the game was in the shape it in. You lost so much work. And he was, Sean Murray was never transparent, which is something I was super vocal about during those four years. If, if you're going to, if you're developing a game and your game is like that, you need to be transparent about your process. You need to be transparent about what happened and like, just, you know, take, take the, take the wraps on the knuckles guy. Like if you're honest, we can at least for, you know, forgive all the bad shit that happens if you're honest, but uh, you know, they kept quiet and they churned out update after update. And uh, I revisited uh, no man's sky rather recently and uh, it got a lot better. There's a lot more stuff to do. There's a, there, there's like actual multiplayer in it now in the, in the original state, there wasn't multiplayer. Like there, it was just n- nothing. And sort of got that there would be multiplayer and that you'd see other, you know, pilots and other travelers doing their things, but that wasn't the case at all. Um, and uh, yeah, they kept churning out update after update. And four years later, No Man's Sky is in a very different place, a far cry from what the original product was. And um, <laughs> I, I got to give props to Sean Murray, got to take the hat off. They, they did what you know cyberpunk is undoubtedly uh uh, not cyberpunk but cdpr is undoubtedly going to do and just keep working on this game just keep supporting it and uh he deserves he deserves the praise for that and i think at the award show when like they announced that it was no man's sky sean murray was taking a drink and like his eyes got really wide and he put the drink down and he was like i was not expecting this (laughs) it was uh... yeah i i mean I'll give him credit for, you know, being able to get the, you know, him and his team to being able to get the game into the shape it's in now compared to where it was initially. And I will just say, you know, transparency is a big thing, whether these big developers think it matters to people or not, it it is a big deal. It's like honesty is always key. And I feel like another game that launched many years ago that uh, developers were not transparent at all during the uh, development process and we were getting, you know, dragged left and right, not being told what was going on, being shown this and then having things that are tight-lipped and not told to us and then the game launches completely opposite to what we were given. I mean, I always got to go back to this when, you know, Gearbox decided to fuck the world with Colonial Marines and not tell anyone that uh, 
that hey, we actually, you know, we were just publishing the game. We actually didn't have any time develop doing any development in the game. We just smacked our names on the boxes and we actually outsourced it to somebody else because we were busy working on Borderlands and our main team was working on that. And we and we had no really work done on Colonial Marines. We just outsourced that and then pushed it out with our name on it. It's like that's the type of shit where if you're not transparent about it, and obviously it's going to come today at some point, come to light at some point during the day, you know, and fans find out it's really hard to come back from harm like that. Yes, and like perfect example was Colonial Marines. The fact that, you know, Randy Pitchford in his infinite stupid ass wisdom, you know, was like, hey, this game is going to be great. We're going to we're going to be showing off things for it. You had all of the false gameplay videos, all of the false trailers. And then years later, you know, you found out that uh, when they got the license, uh, when they got the game to work on, they basically just took all the money that Sega had given them for it and just threw it at Borderlands. And it's like, oh, come on, guy. Really? That's like we wanted a good alien game. And like, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against Borderlands, but I would much rather have, I would much rather that money that Sega gave you have gone to the fucking game that they told you to develop with it and not your own game, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, like, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it was a scumbag tactic. And for him to sit there during interviews after, when they interviewed him about the, you know, awful launch of Colonial Marines for him to sit there with a smug smile and be like, you know, it is what it is kind of. And, you know, we, we still did give people a game. It's like, yeah, you gave them a game, but it's not the game that you used to sell them the promise on. That was a whole different game than what we actually got. But breaking away, you know, from, you know, the evil villainy of uh, some companies and, you know, the heroism of others. You know, we're starting to get here to the end of the podcast. And was there anything else uh, on your notes or any quick comments or thoughts you want to drop before we uh, wrap things up here? Um, I think we covered everything. Uh, you know, the Game Awards, like every other year, came and went. And, you know, we, we got some good stuff. And uh, these days, I mostly just watch it for the new trailers. It's almost become part of E3 or like an E3 light for, for game announcements. And... Uh, I, I don't care who wins game of the year or, or any of these stupid awards. It's, it's all one big circle jerk to me. I just, I just go here for the trailers and to see what else is new and, you know, the announcements and or lack of announcements. And uh, yeah, I, with that, I turn it over to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, wrapping this up, I will say that, you know, the game awards, or just like any award show, it's really a popularity contest and it's very hard for the actual deserving, you know, games and, you know, development teams to actually get their just due. But that is the same thing, you know, with any other award show, whether it be music or movie awards, it's it's really a popularity contest. You know, it's just whatever is the most popular thing is most likely going to win awards. And, and that's just how it goes. But, you know, for the sake of discussion, we did want to cover it on this podcast and kind of give our ideas and thoughts as, you know, the new things that got announced. But we want to take this time to thank everybody for tuning in. This was the third episode of the JM Mike Take Flight podcast. On our next episode, we're going to be covering the season finale of The Mandalorian, which is coming up real close and heavy. We'll have all the coverage about that, kind of talk about our thoughts and if we thought it wrapped up well and where we think it's going next. 
We'll also have other entertainment news and video game news in that podcast as well. And I want to thank everyone that has tuned in. And I will say, if you like what you heard, please do subscribe. We also have two other episodes that are in the vault that you can go back and listen to. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. This has been Jay and Mike signing out.